Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe it? Season four of Chewing the Gristle, the greatest podcast that ever was. Well, that might be bold, but I like it. What is Chewing the Gristle? Well, doggone it, we've got a whole bunch of internationally renowned musical guests, mostly guitar players, I believe. <laughs> Not that other people who play other instruments aren't musicians as well. But we're a little biased towards the six-stringed variety around here. Brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, where, of course, I've been doing videos for over 10 years. They have so many guitars, it'll tempt your mind, body, and soul. You better be careful. And our friends at Fishman Transducers, bringing you state-of-the-art accoutrements for amplifying your acoustic instruments to sound the best they possibly can. Doggone it. And let's face it, their fluence guitar pickups, especially those with the gristletone moniker, are ass kicking. Let's get to it. Season four, Chewing the Gristle, we ride. This week on Chewing the Gristle, boys and girls, are you ready for the blues power of Jared James Nichols? You know, Jared and I go way back. He's a Wisconsin boy. It was good to catch up with him again. He's down in Nashville. He's dominating the world with his great rock powers and blues savagery. Ladies and gentlemen, let us not tarry and get involved with Chewing the Gristle with Jared James Nichols. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the time has come once again for another gristly edition of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cockery. I'm here with my old buddy, guitar player extraordinaire, hell of a nice fella, Jared James Nichols from down in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Jared, what's going down? Greg, the legend. How are you, dude? Everything's great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was so fun hanging out at that Paul Gilbert camp and doing some playing and some hanging. It's been a while. It's been a long time. It's funny, like, obviously, uh, with the past few years kind of off and everything, it was still before that. I, I don't think I'd seen you in like three or four years. Yes. Time keeps on slipping. I saw you down in Dallas at the guitar show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would have been like 2018. That's that is correct. Time rolls on. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your your journey, if you will. Uh, yeah. you, I don't know if a lot of people know, but, you know, you're from back behind the Cheddar Curtain here. And yes. uh, you went out to Los Angeles and did the GIT thing, and then you kind of stayed out there. So tell us about how that all kind of your decision to stay out there and what kind of lined up for you and that kind of stuff. Well, first things first, I have to let everyone know that one of my first guitar heroes was you. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Growing up in Wisconsin, you know, there is, uh, we're, we were kind of few and far between, man, of, of a lot of things happening. But I remember everyone, you know, was like, oh, you, you have to hear this guy, Greg. He's, you know, he's in the area, blah, blah, blah. So uh, first off, I got to give you the props that a uh, lot of inspiration, especially, you know, uh, figuring out what I wanted to play and how I wanted to sound. So that, that. Kudos to you on that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, I, I got to say, um, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was, you know, kind of uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, like most, I didn't really see, um, you know, where, you know, where you grow up, you're like, oh, I got to get out of here. I, I tried to stay and I tried to, to, to do the thing, but I realized um, that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I was young enough where I didn't have anything holding me down. So I was like, man, I, I, I think I should travel. Let's try it. 
So yes, I went to GIT in uh, beautiful Los Angeles. Yes, friendly uh, Los Angeles. Landed smack dab in Hollywood. And from a kid from East Troy, like I grew up in the cornfields, right? So when I got to LA, it was like, a, it was the concrete jungle, man. And I was on my own and I was like, wow, this is, this is fierce. There's a lot of things going on here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I went to GIT and I immediately like fell in love with the fact, I mean, I was playing guitar 10 hours a day. You know, I, I was taking all these classes and uh, I was able to, to just soak it all in. And I remember before I went, I, um, I was hanging out with you and you actually gave me like five of your CDs, like old tone controls, uh, radio, uh, the, the, uh, um, the live at, uh, uh, MSE, right. And all. Oh all yeah. 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 And, uh, I remember those were like, I was learning stuff through that. And then I was taking those and I was at GIT and I was kind of putting things together. So it was like a beautiful moment where like, you know, I was just totally, totally taking everything in. Um, I went through GIT in like eight months. I was just all about it. I, I loved it. And I ended up getting like, they had like an award for like the, the most outstanding player award. So like I got like the award and all this cool stuff. And I was like stoked. And then I remember I called my parents like a week after. And at this point, my lease was up. I had no money. I had no, uh, I had nothing going on. I had no gigs. I had nothing. But I'd started jamming with these dudes. And my mom basically said, what are you going to do? Are you going to come home now? Or are you going to try and stay? And, you know, at this point, she had me on like a salary of like 20 bucks a week. You know, like mom was hooking me up. Right. Um, but she was like ready to cut me off. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, I said, I'm just going to stay. So I, I crashed on a friend's floor for about the better part of a year. Um, and uh, I just really, uh, it was one of those times in my life where I was, I just like, I didn't care. I was like, I'm just going to figure it out because I just don't want to go home. I don't, I don't want to go back home and try and, you know, pick up the pieces of what I was doing before. I'm just going to keep going. So that ended up, um, I stayed in LA for nine years and then, uh, made the, made the switch to Nashville in September of 2019. So, I mean, I got out to, to LA in 2010 and Nashville 2019. Yes. Crazy. And so, so you started, um, doing your own thing and, um, uh, Pretty, pretty much from the get-go. Now, I, I think that's a decision that, um, you know, we all have to kind of come up with grass of, are, am I going to be a hired gun or am I going to do my own thing? And it's always harder to do your own thing, but in the end, you're the ruler of your own, you're master of your domain, as Absolutely. Seinfeld would say. <laughs> I remember you telling me that when I was young. You know, you, I had asked you kind of like, you know, because I, I know that you'd, you've collaborated and sat in with a lot of different artists and stuff, but you were very positive about doing your own thing and, and you were the ruler of your roost. Right. So that always kind of, uh, that stuck with me. And I, I remember when I was in LA and I started trying to find guys to play and to figure out where are we going to play? How are we going to do this? The big question was, well, who's going to sing? And, um, at that point I, I was singing, but I was like blues jam guy singing, you know, I wasn't singing. And that was another crossroads where I was like, okay, I don't want to have to deal with a lead singer. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't want to have any of that situation. And, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like you, it was like, 
I just, I want to do my own thing. So that's when I started picking up singing and yeah, doing your own thing. Um, for a lot of, a lot of the years I've been grinding, uh, it's been very, um, unrewarding on a, uh, level of, you know, you, you'll see bands come and go and everything. But the, the fact of the matter is doing my own thing. It's like being your own artist is, is so liberating. Right. So awesome. Well, and that's the other thing too, is that, you know, a quote I like to, <laughs> I like to use a lot lately. I'm sorry, my petting my cat here. He's, uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> he, he wants some attention. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, when you're doing your own thing and you just love the music that you're doing and you believe what you're doing, uh, you don't need a million. You just need enough. Meaning you just need enough people believing in what you're doing. Of course, you're, there's always opportunities for getting more people interested in your stuff and by all means, but at the same token, it's, you know, the fact that you can do your own thing and exist means that in this day and age with all the different things, which I know you've capitalized on with the, you know, being seen online, doing various different things, you know, hooking up with Gibson and Epiphone, um, you know, kind of similar, you know, back in the day and I did the Fender thing and so on. And so there, there's just different avenues uh, to kind of reinforce doing your own thing. Uh, in a way that, you know, if you're a side, and that, and that, of course, as I'm sure you're of the same opinion, you know, if you want to be a sideman and that's what you want to do a side person, I should say, uh, that's all well and good. Um, and that, but that's a whole nother kind of skill set and set of uncertainties, you know, and, Absolutely. and, and, and when, at least when you're doing your own thing, the buck stops there. <laughs> yeah. And I always said too, um, I don't know how you ever felt about this, but I never thought, even when I was trying to play covers and doing stuff, I never thought I was really uh, great at being a guitar, personally a guitar chameleon and someone that would really be able to stick behind someone and, and uh, you know, play, play. I was never like a parts guy. So like I already kind of shot myself in the foot there and I knew a lot of players that were technically so good and, and they, they, you know, they had back in the day, of course, they had every pedal, but now they're running through Kempers or whatever and they're able to play anything. Right. Great. But for me, I, I also, um, you know, I always looked up to, you know, a lot of the same people that you looked up to, which were, you know, guys that played guitar, they had their own bands and they sang and they wrote their own music and they just did what the hell they wanted to do, you right, know? Right. And that, that to me is like, the, it's the greatest feeling. So I couldn't agree more with you. The fact that, you know, you don't need a million, you just need enough because <laughs> it's true, man. It's like, as long as, and, and as long as you get that, kind of put out there and, and people start to understand what you're all about. It it's, it's an awesome thing. It's awesome. It is absolutely. And you know, you've, uh, you've got to see the world, which is a good thing. And I, that was one thing that I was always very grateful for. Um, you know, when you get out of the, the, the cheese bubble, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's, the, and that's no, Slimy, there are people that are able to make a living around here doing what they need to do to kind of compound variety of cover things and so on and so forth. But the thing, I, I always wanted to see the world, you know, <laughs> I always wanted, I never wanted to just kind of hang out, you know, in, in the area. And of course, you know, a lot of that too is, I mean, and this is no, again, no slice against anybody else, but just my own perspective is that, you know, when, when you stop partying, and I know you've never been a big partier, you know, it, it, you can be complacent with, with staying in an area because, you know, there's parties and you can hang out with people and, right. and, and a rock and roll lifestyle where, you know, you're gigging, you never have to play for booze. There's always people inviting you to fun things and so on and so forth. 
but to me that that led to a, a complacency and so when i when i when i quit drinking and stopped partying and just it was all about the music and it's like if i want to see the world like i got to get out of here and and it was so cool to be able to get out there and 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 see the world and i and i was always of the mind too and i don't know if you're the same every time i'm someplace like exotic i just look around and i go i got to take this in now cuz i may never get back here again <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more because like even, you know, um, going real quick, like in 2019, I was on the road for like 308 days straight. Like I did not sleep in my bed. I, I was uh, all around America and Canada, but then I had so many opportunities to go to Japan and go to all over Europe, whatever. But at that point, I was so into it that I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, I was like, man, I'm so glad I was able to take a lot of that in because, you know, I was like, maybe I'll never go back. Right. But back at it. Um, yes. I mean, I never fathomed that I would be able to even play in Austin, Texas, you know, like being a kid from Wisconsin. I was like, oh, man, you know, legendary going to California, playing New York City, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself over in Europe or Japan or some of these places and you're like, how the hell did I get here? And it's all because of playing and it's all because of the, the, the music and playing guitar. And that's a, a, a great point that you made is like the whole thing where, you know, not to dig on anyone that's a party animal, like everyone to them, you know, you do what you do. But for me, it really was always about playing in the music. And I always, always kept that in the forefront because there was a lot of times, um, as, as yourself, I'm sure you were approached with a lot of darkness and a lot of people that were very shady that, you know, you, you, you have to make decisions that ultimately are going to be beneficial to your future. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I never got caught up in any of that because now with like a clear, a clear mind of, of everything I've done, it just feels really awesome to be able to, uh, I don't know, to just carry on and, and travel, like you said, and, and to go to all these places. And, and it all comes from playing guitar. Yes. It's awesome. The, the majesty. <laughs> you know, I've, uh, I've been enjoying looking at your two different iterations of your mighty signature guitar. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, because I know back in the day, you know, we all played different things. You, you love V's back in the day and all kinds oh, yeah. of different stuff. Um, and at some point, you know, you just gravitate towards certain things and that becomes your thing. And I mean, we all get it. So at what point was like the, the P90 single P90 on a Les Paul? What, when did that become kind of your, your thing? So I remember, um, yeah, like when, when, um, I was rolling around following you around, basically I was playing everything, anything I get my hands on. Um, and I ended up in, when I was in LA, it was after GIT. I was trying to figure out like what I wanted to do because I felt like I had all of these uh, tools and all of this knowledge that I just gained. And I was like, okay, how am I going to sound like me still? And how am I going to process this and, and make it into something that feels real and feels right to me? So I started, uh, I, I, I was jamming at this studio uh, with my trio. This is like day two or three of jamming. I had just met um, some really, really nice people over at Gibson. They had an office in Beverly Hills and they borrowed me a slash Epiphone Les Paul. And at this point I'd been playing my V and everything. And I was playing this Epiphone Les Paul and I was like, oh, this is really cool. So we were jamming in this room and Aerosmith was making a record in the back. 
And like, we were like, whoa, man, Aerosmith's back there. Who knows when they're going to show up, if they're going to show up, whatever. So I'm jamming on this Epiphone Les Paul and it's fine. It's whatever. I'm just, you know, I'm playing it. And um, we, our door like slowly opens and it's Steven Tyler. And he goes, he goes, who the hell are you, man? And we're all like, whoa, this like American Idol, Steven Tyler. So he had like feathers in his hair and like super done up. Long story short, this all happens. And he goes, hey, we're making a record in the back. Come hang out with us. So I was like, wow, okay. Set the guitar down. And for like six months, dude, every day I went to the studio and I was a fly on the wall while they made this record. So I started to get really uh, tight with uh, uh, their producer. His name is Jack Douglas. And he produced Cheap Trick and John Lennon and all the uh, Toys in the Attic and Rocks. Okay. And that classic yeah. Aerosmith. So he had a friend that played in Aerosmith during like the dark period when uh, Joe and Brad had left in the early 80s. His name was Rick Dufay. So Rick lived in Hollywood. He started hanging around. And man, character. He would like call, he would bust everybody's balls and he'd be like, what are you wearing? You know, like he was crazy, but sometimes you didn't know if he was like certified crazy or just like, you know, anyways, I didn't have a, any money. I didn't have anything going on. So Jack goes, Jared, why don't you work with Rick? Rick at this point was taking care of these, um, basically these luxury apartments in Beverly Hills. So next thing you know, I'm working with this guy, Rick and Rick you know, would have me painting. It was almost like uh, the karate kid. Like I'd paint for like 10 hours a day and he'd pay <laughs> me like 40 bucks, but I got to hang out with him and I heard all the stories and he had all his old gear and all this cool stuff. Rick had a single pickup Les Paul custom. Uh-huh. It, was, it was a 1969. And I remember it, he had it and man, the thing was just thrashed. Like he'd ripped everything out, you know, but it was like a true rock and roll machine. And I remember it had like a PAF in the bridge. He still has the guitar. And he let me borrow it for a while. So I started messing around with this thing. And what I noticed is, because I play with my fingers, um, I was able to like, just like really kind of coax a lot of different stuff out of this guitar. And when I played it loud, I realized, you know, as you know, Greg, when you're playing loud, everything just, it's different. Right. You know, you, you, uh, I think a lot of players, when they don't play loud and they're sitting in their bedroom, you know, they can play with all their delay and echo and everything. Cool. But once you get into a real room, you have to be able to, uh, move air and, and make it sound right. So right. I had this Les Paul and I started to play these shows with it. We, you know, we'd gotten our first gigs over at like the Viper room and all this stuff. And I was falling in love with the simplicity of it. I was able to basically with a, a, with a volume and a tone control in my hands, I was able to coax all these different tones. And all I had at that point was, uh, I think I had a Marshall, like a JCM 800 I was renting and a tube screamer. So it was just like really simple rig, but I just started digging into it. And then that's about the time I started really um, diving into like Mountain and Leslie West. And I was getting into like, you know, like remember Clapton would play like a single pickup Firebird. Right. I started yep. fascinated with the single pickup thing. And ultimately I ended up getting an older Les Paul Custom. I wish I still had it. It was a 68. I got it for like two grand. I put it on a, a credit card. That took me like four years to pay off. <laughs> and, um, I ripped the pickup out. So I had this guitar that I kind of like modeled after Rick's. So I started to play that all over. And I remember that we got some really great gigs opening for Skinner. It was like my first big gigs ever. And Ricky Medlock, a uh, guitar player from Blackfoot, played right. he, was, he was hanging out with us and he's like, what's that guitar? So he started to like, like this guitar and he goes, man, I want to buy that off you. And I was like, no, dude, this is my guitar. So 
people started to recognize that I was playing the single pickup guitar and it was kind of different and I was playing with my fingers. And, you know, I didn't think of it as like a gimmick, like a single pickup playing with my fingers. But a lot of people were probably like, I was just trying to stick out or whatever. But I just was really comfortable doing that. So Ricky ends up going to Gibson and saying, hey, I want to copy this kid's guitar. And they were like, oh, what's this, blah, blah, blah. The, the same year, I got um, asked by someone at Gibson to play at the NAMM show. So I went over there with my single pickup and they're all looking at it and they're like, oh, this is cool. And this was just about the time that like social media stuff was tr- starting to kind of trickle up for me. So I'd see all these people modding their guitars and, and like it got on the radar of uh, some of like the, the tops at Gibson at the time. And they were like, man, we should, uh, they, like, they were like, oh, we should make you a few guitars like this. I was like, I would love that. Um, you know, a dream come true. And it would have been the end of 2018. Well, it would have been about mid-2018. I was at Gibson and we were just hanging out. And my friend over there, Beth, she goes, hey, we want to make your guitar. Let's do it. Let's make it an Epiphone. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? Like, <laughs> I not believe it. And she goes, we'll start out with like 250 of them and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, I just felt like at that point, I was just like so honored that they would even do that. Long story short. Um, I end up going to NAM, and it was like the first morning. And I know that you have, you know, the whole NAM spiel, but I was there and I was like a little prize puppy with his guitar and I was playing for everybody. And I was just so ecstatic. And the first person that came up now, remember they said they're going to make like 250 of them was Sweetwater. So I'm talking to these people. They can see that I'm so into it. And right away they ordered like 700 of them. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the guy comes over and he goes, Hey, we, you know, we got to talk about your deal. You know, they just ordered all these guitars. And so that's how it kind of started off. And I think it's really cool because with this guitar, it's, it's something that, um, it's so simple. And like, when you see it, it's like a lot of people go, man, it's like a Les Paul, but it's like missing a bunch of stuff, but there's something about it being in between a junior and a full size Les Paul. It just has a vibe and it's really cool. And, um, we've gone on to do, obviously we, we had the, uh, old glory and gold glory. And we have uh, another one that's coming on the way that's going to be really awesome. Excellent. So, pretty cool. Well, there is something about that single pickup, man. I mean, Esquires have always been one of my favorites and juniors, but there's, you know, I always remember people describing it as, you know, when you have one pickup getting the full magnetic pull of the strings, yeah. you, it does a thing. And uh, I mean, and that could be. That could be fake news, Jared, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would say it's almost like, you know, uh, if, if, if you like strip all of everything away, it's almost like you're like, you just have like this hot rod of guitar. So maybe, yeah. I don't know though, man, because like now I flirt with all different types, like with uh, two pickups and I've even played like, you played George's three pickup. I mean, I love that. Guitar, man. Three magnets and yeah. that thing's, uh, cr- you know, so to ev- everyone's a little different, but um but yeah, it's cool. It might be fake news, but I'll buy it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you know, it's interesting because remember when we were, you know, when you're younger and you're growing up, it's like guitars that people would use. It, it was part of, uh, you know, people didn't use terms like brand back in the day. You know, we would never say, well, Jimmy Page's brand is Les Paul's and dragon suits, but it was, <laughs> it, it was his thing. You know, he, you, you know, you knew Roy Buchanan was going to play, you know, uh, his old Nancy, you know, uh, telecast 53 telecaster later on. He had that, the other one that he used in the alligator period, all that kind of stuff. So you identify 
these iconic instruments with these with these these individuals. And and nowadays it's it, it's kind of the same, but it's different. I, I think that the um, just the guitar consuming public is just so different. You know what I mean? There just seems to be so many people who are more into like buying guitars than they're actually into playing them, which is fine again to each, to each their own. But to us where it was all about just playing, um, it was different. It was, and it was kind of, I always, I always kind of make this analogy of it's, you know, when you're, when you're not doing music that is thoroughly digestible to the every person, you know what I mean? It's not going to be, especially nowadays, you know, it's not going to be an American Idol or whatever it is. So it's niche. You know what I mean? There, granted, right. there's variations of the size of the niche, but, you know, they're niche. Um, you know, a musician, a guitar player, bass player, whoever, if you're an instrumentalist, what you play is is part of how you make your income. You know, mm-hmm. it's, but at the same token, what always kind of bummed me out were the guys that just seemed to like jump ship at the slightest provocation. What are they playing oh, yeah. this week? You know what I mean? Oh, now, now, it is, and it just totally loses its, its validity. Um, Absolutely. But, and so what I've done, and obviously you're, you're on the same path as well, which is, which is great. I think is in terms of, you know, you understand the parameters of, of the gig. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, this is part of your income, Right. But Absolutely. at the same token, it's also part of your art. So it's 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 walking that line between keeping things artistically valid, inspirational to play, and also commensurately um, advantageous financially. That's well, those are some big words there. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Totally. It's, it's, yeah. Well, well, the first thing I'd like to say, going back to when you started this, uh, what you're talking about is the fact that. A lot of people are more into buying than playing now, and I couldn't agree more. It's it's even even if people are like, you know, they're trying to go vintage to be cool or whatever they're doing. Right. It's like they'll get a vintage guitar and they'll just sit there and look at it. They're not going to play it. Yeah, of course, it's about money, whatever. Even, you know, I see people, they get new guitars and um, it's just disposable. It's like it doesn't mean much anymore, I feel like. Whereas maybe, you know, I wasn't around then, but it seems like, in you know past generations things were they meant a little more and and they were used more you know it, it, as tools of course right but it just meant something yeah. and you know th- like talking back to these famous guitar these guitar players with these famous guitars absolutely like even if you think of like greeny or you think of steve right. or anything right it's like of course that's a great instrument you know and and uh and of course, you know, it's got the whole vibe that everyone thinks now about, oh, it's vintage. So it's good, whatever. But the guitars meant something to these players. Right. Clearly, like you said, it's about the art and, you know, this is the tool to create it. It's their sword. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I also think that um, nowadays, you know, and I, I nick that from you as well, is, is the whole fact that playing the music you want to play, um, it's not always going to pay the, pay the bills. So you'll sit there and you'll go, oh man, I just did this awesome tour, but I'm out two grand, you know, or I'm, I'm right. in a hole. So, so you sit there and you go, well, how, how am I supposed to just live my life? How, how am I just supposed to exist um, if I can't make money doing this, but this is what I want to do and I'm putting all my time into it and all this. And that's where this, this um, 
you know, teaming up with these brands and things that you really love though, you know, and I think you do the same. It's, it's not even a question. Like, (laughs) like you said, I see guitar players all the time flipping brands and they'll like, they'll be like, Oh, this week I'm with like, whatever. And, and, you know, then the the next month, Oh, coming soon. They're with some brand I've never heard of. And, you know, I'm just like, what's going on? Right. I I mean, I don't think they're paying you, you know, hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to do these things. Like, is it really, is it really worth it? I don't know. Um, For me though, there is an absolute connection between the brand, loving the brand and then being able to be in a position where I can um, work with the brand, you know? Exactly. That's, that's the, that's the big thing. It's the people involved. Yes, absolutely. So not only can I go and um, play a show with the instruments and the tools I love the day of, I can work with the brand at a store that's near the venue that we can set up a clinic or, or some sort of meet and greet where I'll do some playing. Right. And then it's like, okay, cool. Let's say I don't make any money at the show. You know, just, I cut my costs, whatever then I can go to this clinic and I can make uh, a few bucks for scratch for rent, you know? Right. And if you're lucky, you, you, you also, I mean, I used to parlay the same thing when I was doing, you know, did my Fender, Hal Leonard thing. I'd book a tour of Europe with the band and, you know, you'd book those clinics in between and those travel days, the, the corporation takes care of all of the expenses as well as get, as you're getting paid. So it was a really nice way to, to, to underwrite things, especially back in the day. You know, it was one of those things for me. I mean, one of the things I got, you know, when I, when I switched to, uh, you know, playing Reverend guitars is that, you know, I, re- I really wasn't looking for anything per se. My, my Fender thing, it, it didn't really end per se. It just was one of those things where they changed, they changed leadership there. And a lot of the people I dealt with were gone. Mm-hmm. And 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 it was one of those things where I, I don't want to have to reschmooze these people again. I'm just over it, you know. Oh and, man! And, and plus, they were and they were and they were promises made from other people that weren't that didn't come through. And you know, and I'm not and I'm not. It all turned out great, and I'm, I'm immensely grateful for the experience I had with that brand over the years. And Absolutely. Lord knows, it's an iconic brand, you know. I mean, I still have Fender guitars. I'm not going to say I don't have Fender guitars, but there were. But there were things I knew that I wanted on a like a quote unquote signature instrument that I had mentioned to them that just never panned out. And so I was friends with the people at Reverend first. It was all because we were pals, you know, yes. and then yes. all of a sudden we started the conversation. And uh, but, you know, every now and again, you know, we get people like, you know, why did you betray Fender? I'm like, what? <laughs> but but that's, you know, that's just that's just that's the Internet. Man. That's well, just that's- the Internet. That's the same thing for me, like um, with Gibson and Epiphone, it, I didn't walk in that door uh, thinking I was deserved anything or thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to do this, that and the other thing. And I still feel absolutely lucky to even be um, where I'm at or, you know, even if it was like that was it, Jared, you had those two. It's all good. I would still, you know, walk around all day being like, yeah, it's great. I'm stoked on it. So like like you said, like. Uh, it's about the people. And I came in at a very interesting time because it was like right when, you know, Gibson was at a point where um, the the past leadership, it was right when everything was out. Right. And man, Greg, I remember being at Gibson's showroom in LA and it was bad. It was like the, they didn't, the workers didn't know what was going on, you know, um, they were about to do, they had all these guitars that they were going to do like a yard sale sell for, you know, 
They just didn't know what was going on. Showrooms were getting shut down. Hundreds of guitars were coming from here and there. And um, it was a weird time, but I loved the brand so much. I was like, man, even if Gibson was to go out, you know, the past leadership, I'm still going to play these guitars because I love them. So right. coming forward and meeting everyone in the new regime and the pe- the friends that I already had there, that's that was really the the thing that solidified it for me. So it is always funny when, you know, players um, think that they're deserved or they think, you know, they're going to walk in and, you know, like, oh, do you know who I think I am? And it's right. like, man, I think Fender, I think Gibson, I think uh, all these big dogs, I think they're okay without, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. No doubt. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's one of those things with the with the big brands. It's like, you know, they're going to be fine without whoever, you know. And but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's it's also there can be mutually beneficial scenarios that are just not complicated. That just makes sense for everybody. But but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, people are the way they are, and you get into different situations where sometimes things work and sometimes they don't, and you just got to know when the getting's good. <laughs> Oh yeah, I think, I think we're uh, alike in a lot of ways too. Though when um, you know you're you're inspired by the guitars you play, and and you you love your gear as you know, like it's like you said, there's this relationship between the gear you making the the art. I don't want to sound smoozy, but you know your art, the gear, it all works together. And um, you know, if you were to flip tomorrow and go to Jackson or whatever, I think a lot of people would just kind of be like what's that about? You know, now with Reverend, I can see that you have such a, you know, there's, there's a relationship and it's real. It's, there's a human quality to it. Right, it's not, right, right, right. You know, it's not some dumb endorsement. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Correct. Indeed. <laughs> well, let's talk about what you got coming up. I know you got a new single coming, right? And, oh, and, yeah, what, yeah. So, and what's, what's, what's the current incarnation of your band? And man, it's, it's been, uh, I don't know how you ever feel about this, but I've had a lot for tour for the touring side. I've had a ton of, um, I don't want to say like a ton of like rollover, but um, you know, I've had the same drummer since 2010, but as far as right. bass players go, I've had a lot of different bass players coming and going all friends, no, no drama, but right. you know, like, like when you go on tour, Greg, and you're like, okay, cool. We're going to go out for eight weeks. And some people are like, uh, uh eight, eight, eight weeks. You know? Oh yeah. I get it. And they go, I'll do it. And then by week four, they're like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> right. So, but um, I'm really excited because, so I have a new single coming out. That's in October. I'm really excited about this one because um, it's, it's one of those things. When I moved to Nashville, I started writing songs and I didn't write songs and put on a cowboy hat and think I was someone I'm not. It was almost like I had this, I had a few friends that were like published songwriters and they said, Hey, would you ever want to come and, you know, write with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. So it started as innocent as that. And I had a few tracks that ended up doing kind of kind of good, like one song, like Blues Traveler Cut. And I've had it uh, written with a bunch of different artists. And then, of course, all my solo stuff. So going on with that, I wrote this song. It's called Down the Drain. And it was the first time I'd ever like submitted a song to like the publishing company. And they like instantly got back to me. Like, you know, like sometimes like I'll, th- I'll cast it, we'll cast one out. And it's like, oh, okay, guess I didn't catch anything. <laughs> everyone was super into it. So we went into a studio. It's called Sienna Studios. It's on Music Row in Nashville. That's a cool thing about Nashville is just how many studios there are to work at. So, so we go there and we cut the song and it's coming out uh, October 25th. And I couldn't be more excited, man, because uh, it's the first song that I'll ever have that's actually uh, 
you know, going to get some push behind it all around the world. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're talking to, um, taking it to radio and doing all this stuff. I've never even, you know, I never even imagined I'd do. So that's a really exciting thing. Let's and talk a little bit. Yeah. If you don't mind talking a little bit about how, how you've approached the recording. Cause I remember years ago we were talking and, yeah. you know, kind of a, a label that we, that, you know, I've had some affiliation with in the past that had made overtures and so on and so forth. And, mm-hmm. and you have had, you know, a, a very, you know, calculated, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean in a, in a positive way, a calculated, a calculated way of, of coming out with your material in a certain way for the biggest impact and so on and so forth. So yeah. if you don't mind, kind of describe a little bit of what, what goes on with the rationale of, well, am I going to do a record? Am I just going to put it out there myself and tour behind it? Or are we going to wait and do a piecemeal and maybe, you know, that, that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, truth be told, I haven't released a ton of music in general. Um, and, and it's not a lack of material. It's not lack of wanting to, um, there was, there was a lot of things where in the beginning it was like, okay, we don't have anything recorded. We're going to do an EP live at the Viper room. We paid them a hundred bucks. Now we have a EP, right? Right. right. Uh, we got it mixed all good. And then it was like, okay, we're going to go to Europe for the first time. Well, we need something to sell. Let's go in a studio. We'll cut five tracks. We'll make another EP. So my, um, my first record I made, uh, was with Eddie Kramer, which was killer obviously. Right. I got to cut, cut a bunch of stuff at Abbey road, which was killer. And then I worked with a uh, uh, Warren Hewitt, who is, he's, um, he's worked with everyone from like Aerosmith and, and a ton of different people. But, uh, now I think he's really known for, he has like a YouTube channel. It's called produce like a pro, but okay. back then he wasn't doing that yet. So I'd worked with him. Then I had another record come out in 2017 and then an EP. So it hasn't been a lot, a lot of music in a span of shoot, man, eight, nine years. So a lot of things were offered. Um, like we'd spoken about, you know, I'd had a different, uh, different opportunities that could have been great, maybe not great, but I always thought to myself that, you know, just because something's offered doesn't mean it's always going to be the best thing. Right. Right. For sure. Um, so with that being said, you know, we had some, some different people we were talking to, but it, there were, there was just red flags. There were things that just didn't make sense. Um, especially, you know, I'm sure you think like this too. You always think of your career as you want it to continue to grow, you know, um, putting out a record just for the sake of putting out a record to me at this point, it, it was like, I don't want to put something out that it doesn't feel right. Or I don't believe in. So I ended up when I moved to Nashville, I signed with a label, it's called Black Hill Records, and it's under um, Round Hill, which is a huge um, music publishing company. They own like a ton of catalogs. They own, they own like, it's like a billion dollar catalog company, but the owner is a big fan and he's a guitar guy. So he signed me to this label and it's been amazing. And with the recording process, I've always had it where people have said to me, I don't know if you've ever gotten this, but they go, oh man, you sound so much better live. Of and course, like, yeah. No. <laughs> so... With this record, we we ended up, I started writing it right when the pandemic hit, basically. And I said, I want this record to serve as like a live menu or like a menu to my live show. So mm-hmm. it was like, I, I want this. To, first off, I wanted it to sound like the records I grew up loving. I wanted it to have an honest recording quality, bumps and bruises and all. I, I don't know. I, I just can't be bothered anymore. I know I'm not a perfect guitar player. I know I'm not a perfect singer but I put what I can into it. So why not try that on the recordings as well? Right. 
you know, I wasn't trying to auto-tune everything and fix, you know. So we made this record in, uh, uh, it would have been, shoot, we started making the record about seven months ago, um, waiting to, to kind of get everything together, doing demos and stuff at Blackbird Studios in Nashville, which is a really, really beautiful studio. Yet again, I felt even honored to be there because it was like, it was called a Studio D at Blackbird. Um, if anyone wants to look it up, it's like crazy tracking room. So we go in there, we set up like a live show. We set up, I had um, two Marshall Super Lead 100s, 69s that I borrowed because I don't know. Um, I had my Les Paul, my red Les Paul at 53. I had my gold guitar, the gold glory. And um, we set up the drums and then we set up the bass rig. And we worked with a guy named Eddie Spear. And Eddie's a younger guy. He's from the UK. He's probably 33, 34. But his claim to fame is he, he was brought here by Jack White. Jack White heard his stuff and he said, I want you to work for me. So he was working on the tours and all the Jack White solo stuff. But then I, he hit big when he did. He worked on a Chris Stapleton record and all that kind of stuff. So anyways, we worked with him and man, it's coming out at the beginning of the year and it's the most honest raw thing I've ever done. It's like, there's no overdubs. It's just like, you know, when I take a solo, I took it off the floor and it was, um, it was awesome to do. So going back to it, that's, that's where I'm going with this new stuff that I'm recording. But yeah, it always has been calculated because I seem to, when I, when I follow artists that I really love, sometimes I'll hear records come out or songs come out and it just, I kind of go, huh, okay. You know, and, and, you know, not to be uh, selfish, but sometimes with your favorite artists, you're like, you know, like everyone gets with you, you abandoned Fender. What? It's right, right. when they, they care about you, but they're saying it in such a negative way. So sometimes with artists, I hear stuff and I'm like, oh, why did they put this out? Or, you know, right. so for me, it's always been a strategic thing. And I'm so hopeful and glad now because it's built up to this point that um, I've never had like a team around me. I've never had like, you know, radio guys. Now, now with, with this new music and everything, like, we have like marketing, but you know, all this different stuff. So I'm just excited to see where it goes. Excellent. Worst thing that could happen, man, is uh, I put out my music and people are like, oh, that's cool. You know, and we keep going on, but who knows? Maybe uh, it'll, it'll cast a net to a larger audience. So we'll see. Excellent. Yeah. yeah there's, there's something about just playing live in the studio. I mean, what, what it's great. Well, what you were saying earlier, I don't know if you've noticed this or, or done this as of late, but, if you haven't heard a record you grew up with in a while and you re-listen to it, you're like, man, I can't, I, you hear all the warts. Whereas back oh, in the day, yeah. back in the day, it seemed perfect. You know what I mean? Like, how could they, <laughs> this is such, this is a perfect recording. And then you listen back because you're so used to hyper-focusing on your own stuff that now you're using those same ears on all these old records and you listen to this shit and you're like, my God, this they're flat here. This guitar is out of tune. Da-da. But Again, the way the average person, including yourself, when you were listening to it back in the day, uh, they don't hear that stuff. They're hearing the overall arc of of the vibe of the record. And yes. and so, like, when we first did the first uh, trio record, I mean, we just recorded it live in the studio. And, um, and it was one of those things. There's something gratifying about knowing, like, yeah, well, that's it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not, you can't go back. I mean, you can, with Pro Tools, you can fix little things, you know what right. I mean? And right, we right. all, we all do, but you know, it's, 
it's at least it's to, for the vast majority of for me if i'm fixing stuff i usually take stuff out you know what i mean right. it's like mm-hmm. nah, that's 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 fucked there why don't you just t- snip that part out and then those two pieces can live separately or whatever and yeah. uh but other than that it's it's just so nice to just know that it's done as opposed to but of course that's the same thing if i'm doing an overdub the first one's always the one you know what yep. i mean and then mm-hmm. you start, you go, oh, let's say do a few more. And you always come back to the first one. <laughs> I don't know who said that. I feel like, I mean, not to like quote, I think it was like Neil Young. I heard him say once or something. He's like, if you don't get it, in like uh, even a song, if you don't get it in like the second to third take, like go away. You got to, you know, right. it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I always do that with records, man. I'm like, oh, I love this record, you know, and I'll put it on, you know, when we're on tour or whatever. And I'll listen to it and I'll be like, this sounds so different. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's weird. And, and you know, there is some stuff that still gets me the same way where I'm like, okay, like my ears, you know, this is that good. But right. there's a lot of shit where you're like, boy, this is so out of tune. And the Hendrix, so the Hendrix stuff, the Hendrix stuff still stacks up every time. Yes. I was just thinking, I heard this morning, uh, house burning down. Oh yeah. Fantastic. That intro. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yes. And even even Hendrix, though, that's the other part of it, though, that I loved was, man, he was an honest player, dude. So even, yeah. you know, when he'd be doing he'd be doing all this crazy stuff. I don't know if you've heard those uh, like the Band of Gypsies uh, outtakes. They, oh, they yeah. Just, you know, you listen to the different versions of Machine Gun, you know, and he'd be using that bar and he'd be getting into this crazy stuff. And like it's beautiful because if he was to go, oh, I didn't like that. Let's scrap that. Obviously, that's a live show. But. There's a there's a beautiful thing about playing live where it's a little more primal, it, right. maybe not aggressive, but there's there's something about it where you're in the moment and it's right. like you you can't take it back. So yeah, when I hear shit live, it's like it it's like that record you did live at live at the radio station, the right. uh, WSME. Right. Um, there's something awesome about it because you're in the moment and you're feeding off the band and you're just like whatever happens happens. That's that's a fact. That's the way it must be. Yeah, man. Love it. That's kind of the, you know, it's the old, um, well, for lack of a, it's the, you know, jazz blues mentality of, you know, everything's different every time you're mm-hmm. feeding off the situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of people, you know, they like to do things perfect. You know what I mean? And they, and they're right. every time they play, it's exactly the same every time. And there's a thing to that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. That's never been my thing, but um you know, it's for, for to each their own, I suppose. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, I do look forward to hearing your your uh, record. That sounds very very exciting. With uh, this whole new regime, I like it. Thanks, man. It's it's one of those things too. In in this uh, day and age, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I'm from Wisconsin, where everything you know. Like I always said, like when I was a kid, it could have been 1989 because the stuff I was listening to music on and stuff was like you know, like it was all archaic anyways back then right in this day and age all i want to do is make an honest record with you know and play my guitar and sing and just do it the way that felt right i i'm so sick of like everything being perfect and and you know because like i think now it's like everyone's pushed to like hypercritical of every single thing like you were saying you know and and you see these players online and it's just like some of the stuff I'm like, I don't even know this music. They're they're on like headless guitars doing all this crazy stuff. Right. And I'm just like, it's just so not who I am. And it's like, if anything, I'm just going to play some honest ass music and see where it goes. 
We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Speaking of, speaking of just primal jams and, and old school activities, I was uh, this past weekend. You know, I moved the man cub into uh, his school. He's going to the lacrosse, right? So unbelievable. So he's, he's he's starting college. So I feel like a thousand it's years. Where old. my wife but, went. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful place. You know, lacrosse yeah, yeah, yeah. is awesome. And um, but my buddy booked a gig on that Friday in lacrosse. He's been doing some gigs with Deke Dickerson. I don't know if you ever checked out Deke over the years. I, yeah, 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 totally. He's fantastic. Yeah. Well, the, the other guy in the bill was this guy, uh, Tony Andreessen, okay. who was um, he's the guy from the trash band who did the surf and bird. Which was crazy, right? So yeah. they're they're playing their show, and it was just so weird to be like. I'm in La Crosse, Wisconsin, just moved my kid into school and I'm in a bar and the guy that wrote and sang the bird is playing the song in front. It was really, really weird. Anyways, but during the show, wow. um, Deke did a couple Link Ray songs and there was this, this one Link Ray song called Run Chicken Run, which is like, it's savage and it just rocks. And and so I went down the Link Ray deep dive, which I've, and I've had some Link Ray records in the past and, but it's kind of funny, you know, you get weird about, you listen to rumble, right? And the guitar is out of tune, right? Oh, yeah. And it's oh, sometimes, yeah. and sometimes you're like, fuck, couldn't he just tune the guitar? And then you're like, it's awesome the way that it is. And there's definitely a mind shift in that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the bottom line is, is that for me, you know, rock and roll is about guitars sounding like shit's busted. You know what I mean? Yeah. And oh, yeah. just primal and over the top, and, and we've gotten to a point where I think that it's become so polished and so perfect and that, you know, it has to be this, you know, and that and that's all well and good, too. But t- to me, when you get back to the source, it's this primal energy. Yes. And however you, can, however you can tap into that is what needs to be tapped into. <laughs> it's like, like you said, that Link Ray, like that is out of tune and you listen to it and like, I don't know, like when I hear it, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine hearing it any other way. Right. You know? Exactly. And then, and then like when, when I listen to, uh, you know, like, obviously I know you love, you know, all these different people like Johnny winter and all these oh, people. Yeah. like when you hear Johnny winter, a lot of times you're just kind of like, yeah, that's totally out of tune, but he's this albino, scary, right. you know, ghostly figure that's just spitting fire out of a firebird. And you're just right. like, Oh my God. Like this guy don't give a shit. No, you know, he's exactly. up there just getting it. And uh, you're right. There is this primal energy and I've always been drawn to that. And I always think that um, that's, that's my favorite part. I think about playing guitars is that energy. And I think that a lot of people forget about it, especially. And, and there was a moment in time where I was studying so much, you know what I'm trying to say? And obviously right. you're always a student and we're always listening. And, but I was so like hyper-focused on, oh, if I'm playing this, you know, uh, uh, a two-five-one, this is what I would play over this or like, right. you know, uh, working on things like that, that you forget about that energy level. Um, it's just so cool. There's just something so cool about 
to throwing caution to the wind and it's like a train that's like ready to go off the tracks and you're just like you're watching it and listening to it and you're like this shit is about to crash and burn right you know? it's just awesome that's the way it should be yeah man. <laughs> i love it yeah, you know, I still love listening to, you know, I listen to a bunch of old Zep bootlegs, and that is an example of things always just on the verge of completely going off the rails. But when it's on, it's the scariest shit that ever was. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and yes. as much as, you know, and it's 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 one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of, you know, they had a lot of detractors, and obviously they had a lot more people that were ravenously into them and thought they could do no wrong. But you know, when you listen to that stuff in, in, in like page, it's like, you know, even the 1980 tour of Europe, you know, when, the, you know, his, his vitamin regimen back then was, was not a healthy one, if we're honest. And, uh, and so there are some, there are some nights where you're like, what is going on? But there'll always be those moments where like, this is the greatest shit ever. And the overriding vibe of the whole thing is just fun. Even though, yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. it's just fun music. And yes. the vibe is fun and it's creative and it's rock and roll. It's the way it should be. Man, I always feel that way too with a lot of players, you know, and I, I would never mention any names or anything, but I'll see players now, you know, that back then was the heyday. And you'll right. see them play now and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, they're still hanging in there, you know. But then all of a sudden you'll get that glimmer, that glimpse of like the magic and you're like, oh shit, there it is. There it right. is. Right. Uh, man, I... There's this record I was listening to recently. It was uh, the band Free. Uh, yeah. It was Free Live. It was like a live record. I think that I think it was put out after the, the band had broken up. But all right now, and like the first, I think it was like a, a Hunter or something. Right. Cover, right? His guitar, I don't know if it's the jack or the toggle switch. Oh, like I've I'm heard like, that. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fucked. And he's trying to play that all right now riff. And the jacks oh, and fantastic. missing, and it's just like it's it's ridiculous. Like I can't believe they put that on a record, almost right. And you know, and then the moments all of a sudden he gets it to work, and he's probably messing with the cable or whatever. But you sit there and you're just like, this is so primal and raw. It's like the yes. guitar is literally broken, you know, and and they're still up there, just you know, and it's something just so cool about it. Well, plus back then too, you know, you you'd see the you know, photos of like, well, just Hendrix going through the crowd, carrying his old guitar, his own guitars with the, the chords over his shoulder and the fuzz face in his hand, you know, and, you know, just going up there, setting the stuff, leaning guitars against stuff. You see those pictures of Zeppelin and oh, yeah. the guitars are just laying flat on road cases. Oh yeah. And now there's guys with flashlights and shit and special tools. And I mean, I get, I mean, it's totally awesome that that's the way it is, but at the same token, there was just such a Wild West vibe back in the day. It was oh, this, yeah. And that's in those days, everything is so dialed in now. It, it just kind of, in a lot of ways, of course, it's awesome because it's going to mitigate the disasters that are possible. But totally. at, the, at the same token, the sense of adventure has maybe been mitigated somewhat as well. I think a lot of people <laughs> will say that to me, too. They'll be like, oh, man, uh, you know. Uh, we'd love to like do check out your guitars on the road. You know, maybe we could get your text phone number or, you know, like, or you could p pass us to your tech. And I'm like, dude, you're looking at them. Right. Like, I, I don't know about you, but like it out of, obviously out of um, necessity, but you know, with, with, with that kind of uh, ethos, it was like, I always felt like, and if it worked for those guys back then, and it's not about, you know, 
being, you know, trying to be a boomer or trying to be like, oh, this is the best it's ever been, blah, blah, blah. You know, everything's got to be about 1974. But there's just something, like you said, that's Wild West. And it's like, fuck it. You know, it's going to be fine, man. Right. You you have to almost lean into your playing more and you have to, you know, like, you know, like we were saying before about the guitars, it's like you're you're the one playing them. It's like you you should be the, the master of it. Right. It's funny you should mention about taxes. Like, yeah, I don't have a tech, dude. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. we, we travel. It's the three of us. So, and I, I'm the merch guy. Yep. yep. <laughs> Man, the, I settle up at the end of the night, yep. you know, it's, and it's awesome. I mean, you're exhausted, but you know, but I mean, your job is you get up in the morning, pack up your shit, you go to the next place you know, you, you load in the stuff, you do the sound check, where we eat and set up the merch table, jam for a little bit, hang out, talk shit, yep. you know, meet a bunch of new people, you know, yep. you're always interfacing with, and it's fascinating, you know, as, as you well know, it's like meeting people all over the place. What's the deal with this joint? And then you find out, well, this was this place and this guy owns it. And, th- you know, and then you, you get the whole inside story about, you know, yes. all that kind of stuff. And then you get up the next day and you go to the next place and you do it all over again. And, and one night you're playing to a place that's packed and the next night you're playing in front of 25 people. But mm-hmm. those 25 people might buy $1,200 worth of shit at the merch table. <laughs> 100%. And, and uh, to, to your point, like even about that, you know, I I just la- literally got home late last night. I was out with uh, Zach Wild. And, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. Playing the society. And uh, that's one story. But Zach said something to me that, that was awesome because – and I, it totally rang true with me is he, he was talking about like when he started doing his own solo stuff, he's like, man, we'd be opening for Skinner and Ted Nugent and all this stuff, you know, and we'd be the first one on the bill. And he's like, and of course it's awesome. And it looks cool because you're in front of these big audiences and stuff, but they were there to see Skinner and Ted Nugent. Right. And he's like, we would go and, and, you know, we'd end up losing money or, or whatever, because no one's going to buy our stuff. They were over there to see those guys. He goes, right. and then we go to a club and we played at 25 people and they were there to see us. And that's what really mattered. And, and it's, it's true, man. I mean, how many bands do you see that that'll go out on these huge support slots, you know, and, and they're playing arenas and it's like, it's great and it looks cool, but a lot of times they're either buying, buying on to be right. there or right. uh, it doesn't really do much for their career in the long run. Exactly. So. Exactly. You know, it, it reminds me years ago, I learned this, you know, of course I learned it over and over and over again, but I remember it was, um, as you well remember Summerfest back home here, you know, it's this oh, big yeah. glorious event on the lakefront. Oh, yeah. And and at the time I was playing in Susan Julian's band and we just started playing in this band. It was an awesome band. She was at the top of her game singing and playing her ass off. The band was great. We had a bunch of tunes. We had good representation, the whole nine yards. I was like, I know, and I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm like, this is it, man. This is, this is what's going to, be my vehicle out of town here. This is happening. And I remember we played at Summerfest and we were, I forgot where we were at at the, it was a later afternoon slot and the place was packed and people went ape shit. And my thought was, Oh my God, we've, we're, we've made it. You know, every time we play any club around here from here on in, it's going to be packed because we're playing in front of thousands of people right now who all live in town here and they loved it so much. That the next time we played, and the next time we played, there was 10 people there. And it, <laughs> and, and it was like what the correlation of 
Yeah, but those people were there for that moment for whatever reason. And yeah, they may have enjoyed you and all that other kind of stuff. But unless you're right in front of their nose, mm-hmm. the, you know, unless they're like the true, the true investigators who are so few and far between. I mean, you yes. and I are people that are going to figure out who was that band? What was that of all course. about? And then you want to read course. up all about them and figure out what they did. And so most people, that's not that way. They, they, they get that one. Oh, that was enjoyable. I like that. If that ever crosses my path again. Maybe I'll enjoy it again. <laughs> yeah, we did a show and there was like my, like I was saying when I did those, uh, I did like a run of shows with Skinnerd and right. we were in Europe and it just so happened that, you know, we, we opened for them in America on one show and then we were going to Europe and they were going to be there at the same time. So we were able to hop on some shows. And I remember we played, man, we played in Ludwigsburg, Germany at an arena for like 21,000 people. That's a lot and of people. It was a lot of people in our set. It was already packed and it was crazy and everyone dug it. And then I went up and jammed with them at the end of their set. And it was like, holy cow, like this is, this is it. Like, yeah, like you said, you know, I was like, this is huge. You know, uh, I just won Germany, you know? Right. And the next day we had our own show. It was like 200 miles away and it was at a, it was like cafe something. Greg, we played in front of like nine people. So we went from doing 21,000. Yes. The most epic arena I'd ever been in. And I was like, this is, you know, my head is, I'm so high at this time. And I'm sitting there going, man, I don't think I could ever top this moment. And we went from the highest highs to the lowest of the low. Right. And we played a four hour set for about seven drunk people. Yeah. And, you know, you sit there and you go, man, see, this is, uh, it's, and I think that's a lot of times why um, a lot of players and a lot of musicians, you know, have a hard time hacking it is because right. like, it's just manic being a, being a musician is manic a lot of times, especially when you think you're on the right path, right? right? You get that little hit and you're like, oh man, I need the next, what's the next, you right. know? And then you stop remembering, like, you kind of don't even think about what it's really all about. You just start thinking, what's my next hit? You're almost like, dude, we're like junkies. We're like music junkies. (laughs) Okay, cool. I got this gig. All right, cool. What's the next thing I'm going to do after this? Like, how am I going to up this? So it's just like, it's not very healthy, but I think it's like, you know, you're just like, you're hardwired to like do that. I don't know. It's weird. Well, it's interesting because on this, you know, over the years, we've, We've done okay in Europe. You know, I mean, it's not never, I mean, it, it's not, a, we're not playing stadiums or even arenas. You know, it's like small theaters and clubs, right? Mm-hmm. But every time we go over there, we make money. You know what I mean? We go and we might go for two, three weeks, sometimes a month. But at the end of it, we all make decent money, grown-up money. We go home. We've seen some cool stuff. We've devoured some glorious, glorious nourishment. And that's that, oh, yes. right? But in the States, it, it was a little harder. You know, we, we could never get a decent agent um, that was interested in, like, booking stuff for us. So, anyway, so we finally started to do that. And now it's doing that same thing in, in the States. But I had to definitely get over the fact that in Europe, I was used to what you just described. You'll do one glorious gig, and the next day, it's like no one's here. But you're just like, yeah, but I know that after being here for three weeks, it's all going to even out. Yep. Because that totally. one gig, even though it's for nine people, your meals are covered, your hotel's covered, 
and you're making a little dough on top of it. And if you sell some merch on top of it, great. But then, yep. I, you know, so it all evens up. So in the States, it, it, I had to just get over the fact that, listen, you know, there's going to be there's going to be days where you show up and it, there's going to be no one there and you just got to play. And, and so it was really healthy for me to just kind of go in and just like realize, listen, I've got a gal that helps me with my social media stuff. We did everything that we could do within our power to get yep. the word out. And now my job is just simply to show up and play. Yep. And then what's so funny is you'll get people come up just going, man, why aren't there more people here? This place should be packed. And I always look at them and go, listen, that's completely out of my control. You know, it, it may be, you know, we do this thing on another night at this same bar and all of a sudden the place is packed, but that's completely out of my control because I have no idea that all the right people that could have seen us simultaneously had other things going on. I don't know. I have no idea, but I right. can't sit here and mope about that. My job is simply to come here and play, whether it's for two people or 20,000 or whatever the case may be. And since I've gotten to that mindset, I'm never pissed off. I go in at the end of the night, you know, if the if the guy writes me out a check, no matter what it is, thank you so much. Do you got the settlement sheet? Thank you very much. Yep. I go back to my hotel. I figure out, you know, how much I got in cash from merch, how much I got from PayPal, Martin yep. and my little thing. And at the end of the thing, we make money and, yep. and, and it's glorious. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. I think a lot of people, um, they'll never get to that point because they don't do it and they don't have, uh, you know, not to talk shit, but it's like, you gotta have a little bit of will and you gotta have to, you have to say to yourself, you know, all right, cool. I am, this is, this is my job. Like emotionally or artistically all the way. Right. You know, it's, it's all about the music, of course, right. but with all this other stuff, you don't have to carry your emotion on that. Right. I, I see so many people on the road, you know, we just did like seven shows um, and there was people out there and you could see that every single thing was tolling on them. It was like, you know, Oh, we got it. What time are we leaving? Oh, okay. Well, what time's loading? And it's just like, if you can do what you just said and you can say to yourself, okay, cool. Like, I know what I'm getting into. I did the best I can. This is the schedule my emotion comes on stage and I do what I do. I go get paid. I go back to the hotel and we do it all over again. It's a lot healthier and it's a lot simpler. You don't have to, you know, carry so much. I just see that in a lot of people. And, you know, when they do play that show and there's seven people there and it's just like soul crushing and they're just like, you know, they want to quit or they're, oh, I, I will never do this again. I'm so embarrassed. And it's like, you are in the wrong. Right. To even Exactly. That, you know, to think that every show, maybe one out of every 20 shows will be like that, to be honest. Right. Exactly. You know, a lot of people, um, I get it. Everyone wants to flex and everybody wants to, you know, say this or that, but it'll be great, man. We'll, we'll play a show like on these last shows, you know, we're traveling with a van and a trailer and it's like, I'm, I'm stoked, you know, right. and people will come out to us and we'll be loading up our gear and, you know, I'll be loading gear and they'll be like, you have to load your own gear. And I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, and it's like, awesome. And it's great. Like I'm here right now. So uh, it's just funny. I think a lot of people, you know, I don't want to use the word pride or like ego, but it's like they have an ego about it. Like they, they think that they're going to be at this level and it's just like, no, no. Well, I think, you know, I, I think that a lot of it though is probably the delusion of what this thing is that we're mm -hmm. doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, 
you know, it's, it's represented in, you know, you read these biographies of all of these bands from the past and so on and so forth. You see how it's depicted in, you know, all these documentaries that are readily available now on, you know, Netflix or whatever, or, or the, or just in movies in general, how everything is portrayed as like, and plus they think it's a, it's, it's a meritocracy. You know what I mean? They think, oh, well, we're really good. So therefore, you know, X, Y, and Z should happen. And, and you're like, no, you don't realize it's just gotta be good enough. I mean, if it's really great, fantastic, but that's for you. You know what I mean? For for everybody else, it's just gotta be good enough. And then, uh, and then the, and then luck and timing comes in and the rest of it. So yeah, I think that, you know, I remember when I was young, I mean, it's like, I thought, my shit didn't stink and that it was only going to be a matter of time before I was foisted away, you know, like, sorry, see you later, everybody. This is yeah, going to happen to this level. Yeah. Right. And then oh. all of a sudden you realize, uh, that's not the way this operates. I mean, nope. certainly it, it, you got to work. I mean, plus, you know, how it is what you just described. Like people don't understand that we never stop working. You know what I mean? Nope. Like, Oh, I'll show you what real work is. Well, yeah, I'm doing what I love doing. But the point is, I, it never ends from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. You know, every now and again, my, you know, my wife, she'll give me the look when I'm on my phone. It's like, I'm not on here for fun. You yeah, know what no, I mean? I'm, I'm I, literally working. And this is, it's always like, oh, I got an email from so-and-so or so-and-so wants to mix this day. Or I've just had to, oh, the my, my stuff got posted to this format for the dates for the next tour, but somehow it didn't get, why isn't that happening? Oh, then no, no, oh, all of that shit. You know, it's, it's just, it, it just never, I'm not whining, but the point is, is that, you know, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, you're doing something to, to do. And I, and I love to do it all. You know, the only time I get a little, you know, flummoxed is when you're on the road and you're just like, Oh my God, just one more set of hands would be nice, but, (laughs) but you know, it's, but, but the thing is of being able to, you know, just show up and play your music, the music you want to do for people that give a shit is awesome. It's just, it's beyond awesome. And then all of a sudden you realize you said before, it's like, Oh, I'm playing in LA at this club that everyone and their brother has played at and we've sold it out. I mean, I, if I would, somebody would have told me that when I was 18 years old and said, you're full of shit, you know? Yes. And, yes, and, yes, and, yes. It, and even though the average person, you know, is not going to, where's that place? Well, it doesn't matter. I know what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. The, and the, and totally. And the, and the people that were there dug it. And then again, the next night you might be playing for 25 people at the Wayfarer down in Costa Mesa. <laughs> totally. But that's, you know, that's the same thing I always keep in perspective too. And, uh, you know, like we'll be on the road and, you know, when it gets to the point where you're just like, you're tired and, and everything and you still are grateful, no doubt. And you're ready to play and everything. And you'll walk into a, a pilot or a travel America or whatever, and you're gassing up and there's a line of like 30 people and you see the guy or gal behind the counter that is sitting there all day. Right. And you go, wow. Like you slap yourself. Cause you go, I'm not doing that. You know, and, right. and no, no, um, everyone has to make a living and right. no, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. That. Yeah. Sometimes you'll go to a fast food spot and there'll be a hundred people or Starbucks and they're going and they're making all the drinks and they're trying and the line just keeps coming. And you're like, and I'm complaining about what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, especially on this last tour, like, um, uh, with Zach, like 
you know, he has uh, seven or eight crew guys. They have a semi, they have all of these things. And um, it's like, it's a full blown operation. And it's great because, you know, they're all friends and everything and they, they get there and they do everything. And then we get there, we pull up, pull out all our gear, put it on stage. Hey guys, how you doing? Do our sound check, set up our merch. Just like you said, go hang out, go meet people, eat something, play our set, have a blast kick off. You know, it's just like, it's all good. It and it's freedom. Good. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, and again, I, these are probably good problems to have, but once once you have a crew, you know what I mean? And, and you have this bigger infrastructure where you're, you're still dealing with the pressure of, yeah, well, I played for 5,000 people last night and there's only 2,500 people tonight. Then your oh, yeah. problem, it just, it's just, exponential in terms of the problems. Right. And then you're responsible for this bigger crew. And then you're like, well, I don't want to tour for a while. Well, how are those guys going to make a living? Then you're always like feeling the pressure of, well, unless I keep this machine going, all these other cats are going to be out of, out of business. I mean, again, you know, these are good problems to have, I would imagine, but it's just, it's just like, be careful what you wish for type of a thing. I think you're totally right. And I think at any level, like, you know, whatever, like, you just got to be grateful to play. So like whether, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we're the same that if there truly was like five people there, we would still play. You right. Know, no doubt. 5,000. It's like, we're the lucky ones. And, and, uh, at the end of the day, uh, man, I don't know. I, I just, I couldn't imagine having a, a, a normal job now after all this. I don't know if I could, I'm not qualified to do anything. <laughs> 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 I remember when my, when my, uh, you know, when we were going to have Isla, so that was our third, uh-huh. uh, my wife's like, you know what? I, I just really, I just would like to stay home with the kids. Like even for one year, if there's something you could do to just fire up your game and luckily things, things came together, right. but, you know, I, I was contemplating doing any number of different things, you know, oh, yeah. marketing companies, this, that, and the next thing. And, and, uh, Man, it just, it just, it was a drudge on my soul. You know what I mean? Just to, just to even think about giving in, you know what I mean? And, and luckily, you know, situations lined up where, you know, it's like, and I've said this to, to many different folks and I, and I know you're the same way. It's like when opportunities come to you and they're well within your purview of doing, you say yes, Absolutely. always, you know, unless it's, unless it's something that's just, disrespectfully stupid but right, right. but other than that if it's even if you even think you can do it you do it a million because, percent man and that and that way all of a sudden you have all these and all of a sudden it might lead to something that is a huge way for you to make money and supplement what you really want to do but it's still doing something you love it's something you would never would have thought of in a million years you know what i mean it's like i never thought that that would line up but hey i'm glad it did <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, even going back to like the brand stuff, you know, like there was moments where, you know, you you don't even think that far. You're just like, Oh yeah, I love this. I'm going to do this, whatever. But then the fact that you can actually partner up and make money and stuff, like it could turn into something that you would never even think it could happen, you know? So yeah, absolutely. And, and I've even had that, you know, with, you know, different smaller things where, you know, I, I hook up with someone that's, you know, doing uh, like online guitar lessons or whatever, you know, right. anything, there's always opportunity. And man, I've said yes to things that I knew I was like, 
oh yeah, I can do that. And in the back of my head, I'm going, oh boy, I better, <laughs> I better figure this out. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Because I think that's the only way that honestly too, that you grow and you learn and you, you force yourself. I think I've totally been built, like, especially when I was in LA, like, man, I was, I was totally built on, okay, like, I don't have a plan B. Um, I don't know what else to do with my life. Like, I'm just going to do this and obviously hope for the best, but I'm just going to make it work. Right. So I think when you start looking at things like that too, and you go, if an opportunity is coming, I'm taking it. Right. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm fearless about opportunity. Right. That's, that's when you start to have that vibe where it's like, then you're untouchable. Not, you know, not in a weird way, but then you're like, I can do this. Yes, it can be done. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, listen, thanks so much for talking today. This has been, we could probably go on for another couple hours, but we should probably wrap it up. Is there any- uh, Thank you. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Hopefully we'll get to, to hang out. One of these days, it'd be fun to do one of these jam things I've been talking about. We'll see if it works in your schedule. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to, I'd love to make that work. And, and, uh, I'm still sending you. I, I already made the uh, the promise. I'm getting you a Gold Glory guitar. Oh man, I'd love it, man. That Absolutely. Would be awesome. I just had to. Uh, they're not really making them right now, but there's a few hanging around, so I got one. Excellent. And uh, absolutely, and it's always a pleasure. Even when we were at the the Paul Gilbert camp, just to jam with you, and you know, it's funny. I don't think people realize how much of your shit I've stolen until <laughs> we're on the same stage. I'm like, oh, I can't really do that. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Hey. Hey, you know what? I stole it from someplace else. So it's all, <laughs> it's all stolen. It's all stolen. It's great, man. It's well, you know, the, the biggest thing about playing is you just gotta make it your, you know, whatever you do, you make it your own. And it becomes one of those things where you, you know, when you play, people know that that's your style of playing and what you're doing. And, and right. you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, when um well, even like, you know, this is an extreme example, but you know, when people would hear like Albert King and and not hear the fact that that's where Stevie Ray got it from. You know what I mean? Because they totally. didn't because they're into Stevie Ray Vaughan. They're into that tone. They're into that vibe. They're into that song, those songs. And they don't hear that, you know, so it's 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 but that's the way it's always been. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, like, you know, I listen to. You know, you like anybody. You listen to Live at the Regal, and then or, or or Blues is King, and then you listen to Peter Green play. It's like it's an exact duplication of BB King. Absolutely. And most most people are like, oh, well, his his way of playing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Peter Green. I love sure. what Peter Green did. I love his songs. I love the way that hey. he sang. But his lead playing is extraordinarily derivative of of one Riley B King. You know, a billion percent. Yes. And, and, uh, but that's, but that's just, you know, how people perceive things. They, they buy into the identity of someone's playing their whole thing. You know what I mean? And that's it's the whole thing. I think, did you say that once? I think I, you might've said that, or somebody said that is, uh, people listen with their eyes and not their ears. Yeah. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Although I'm sure I'm not the only one that ever said it, but, uh, right. But I remember you saying that and I was like, yep, that totally makes sense. I think I may have mutated it. They they listen with their groins. I think as well. <laughs> That's another way. Yeah, I, for I, sure. think I, I think I took it a step further at that, at that point. <laughs> I love it. But, well, thanks, well, man. Thanks for my absolute my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Greg. All right, take it easy. See ya.
Thanks so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely appreciate you caring and checking out these podcasts. We certainly have a good time doing them. Again, it's brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Don't be afraid to go to wildwoodguitars.com. Check out what they have going on. I actually go there every night and visit their new arrivals page. It's kind of a kind of an illness, really. And of course, our friends at Fishman Transducers, fishman.com, making all the greatest accoutrements for your stringed instruments. Stay tuned for more. Greg Cock here. Thanks so much for tuning in.